When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island Dicks. This episode features Jeff Norcott, and I think you'll enjoy it because he's a funny guy, and that's how it works. You know, that that's a good format for a podcast. Uh, we recorded this in December, so sometimes you hear us referring to next year. Obviously, that's now this year, so when we say he's going out on tour next year, he's going out on tour this year, next month, in fact. You know how these things work. You've lived through years and the change of dates and seasons so you're going to be fine I think you can you can deal with this I believe in you before we start uh, I've just got to say that unfortunately we've had to cancel the live show with uh, Lou Sanders because um, there's this bug going around and you know the fucking pandemic so that means we've had to cancel it unfortunately but the good news is she has agreed to record with us uh do a normal episode with us so although there won't you won't be able to come and see us live in person you will be able to listen to an episode that we're going to record so you won't miss out in that sense and for most of you it won't make a lot of difference but for those of you who did want to join us i'm very sorry it's just one of those pandemic things isn't it i mean uh, i'm sure we'll do some more live shows at some point i mean this this pandemic can't go on forever can it ah that's what we all keep saying but yes we'll be out sometime so don't you worry and in the meantime here is the very wonderful jeff norcott on desert island dicks Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian and writer going back on tour in 2022 is Jeff Norcott. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm very well, man. Very well. This feels like exactly the sort of show... I want to be on. <laughs> Do you find it easy to sort of rant about people you hate in general? Do you know what? Despite, I suppose, if people knew much about my comedy, they would feel like I, I quite like an attack. But I do find it hard being specific about people. So you might see that in, in the choices that I've made here. I just, you know, I, I really want to be one of these edgy guys that's like, you know, screw it. Can, can I swear, by the way? Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, just fuck it. I'll go hard, go in hard. But then I sort of think, oh, imagine if they're just out for a jog and this is their favourite podcast <laughs> and they hear it. But I will try to be... I, I, I'm very... Um, once you lump people in big groups together, that's when I come into my own. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we'll see how we get on today. Um, well, let's just dive straight into it, shall we? Who's going to be your first person joining you on the island? 
Well, as if to sort of demonstrate a point, it is a kind of person, mm-hmm. right? Is this legitimate to do this? But yeah, you can it's the it. kind of people that use modern buzzwords. Okay. You, you know these kind of like fast rotating glossary of lingo. You know, the kind of people that go, "Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, hey guys. Oh my god, this is." everything you know these weird little <laughs> yeah. phrases right oh man i got all the feels i was yes. feeling a bit cray cray um they used the word chill instead of chilled and i think you're not saving any time by dropping out <laughs> that even that i just feel like that that has come from that constantly i, I like old-fashioned slang right stuff that stood the test of time not this weird stuff that comes and goes so it's that would drive me to murder so quickly if mm. i was just sitting there thinking well we haven't eaten for three days we've got no fresh water and then he comes out of the little woods going hey guys i'll be like <laughs> i'm gonna kill this guy i'm gonna kill him very soon it's like a real sort of signifier of growing up when you suddenly go sorry what did you say like i was in a lift and there were two young people got in one went to the other one oh my god that jacket is goals and i was like that jacket is goals what the fuck are you mm. talking about like What's wrong with a nice jacket, you know? Yeah, it's just so infuriating. Well, and I think also social media has seeded a, a more fast-moving uh, world of slang. And, and, and I suppose you're right, and you, you said it used the word signifier. It is a way of showing a certain group of people where you're at. And a lot of the slang is... And, you know, I'm not, like, massively against... I'm not one of these people that's on a crusade against cultural appropriation. But what you often get, I think, is a certain kind of white middle-class person... Who they struggle for an identity, and so one of the what they quite like is to have language um, that, that sort of makes them feel like they're in somewhere, or, or they're certainly on side with people who they consider to be cool. And it's not just sort of language or particular sort of words. It, it, there's a way of talking as well. There's sort of I found with millennial men for a while. They they speak like Alan Partridge. So many of them, they just speak in this kind of like ironic way. You know, they can't seem to say anything with just plaintive feeling. They'll say, "Yeah, well, I'm gonna go to the pub and have a few pints." I'm like, what? So why would you say that? And ironically, are you not going to the pub? I think you've really confused your meaning here. Or they say, "Well, you know, I, I enjoy the odd pub quiz," and I just I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I think there'll just come a point where they're just middle-aged men who are a bit like Alan Partridge. Yeah, it's true. It's almost like it's kind of they're aware they're doing something that might not be viewed as cool, so they have to sort of do it in that accent. But it's like, but you are doing that thing, so you might as well just own it and just say... Just say it. And also, they'll often, like, if if they're alluding to something that might be seen as politically incorrect, they'll then adopt that voice. Mm. You go, sorry, you, you just know, you just think that. Right, so they'll say like, "Oh yeah, that was uh, yeah." You know, I went out on the weekend because uh, the wife was doing some housework. <laughs> you go, no, if that's your setup, right? If you went to the football and your missus was hoovering, then just say it, okay? Yeah. You don't get to dissociate yourself by then suddenly adopting a caricature of a man much older than you, like a sort of boomer guy. Um, and, and so I, I suppose a lot of it, it it comes down to feeling maybe that it's a bit disingenuous perhaps mm, yeah is yeah. that you're not getting the, the real person I mean it's been, this way of speaking has been around for a while I remember uh, like you know when people like Fern Cotton and so were hosting Radio 1 they would they would talk about loving the Hoff you know or mm. 
kiss oh, I'm kissing my guns there's just this <laughs> rhythm to, to, to talking I just where the fuck did this rhythm come come from it does feel like it's accelerated a bit recently and I think yeah probably as you say like social media does definitely play a part but it just it really makes me feel old at the same like, that's partly why I hate it but it's also because it feels like I don't know like when I was young and you know you'd be like oh that's wicked and it's sort of like, mm. okay, well, that's quite simple. It's like, you know, it's obvious, mm. you know, bad meaning good, that kind of thing. But now there's so many things that it's just like, yeah, giving me all the feels or like that jacket is goals or like, you know, it's just too much. The same <laughs> stuff is everything as well. Yeah. Like, it just did some of these things have quite a grammatical kink in them as well. It's mm. so going, oh, yeah, I saw, I saw a, a, a musical the other day and it was everything. It's such a piece of hyperbole. It wasn't everything, was it? Do you know what I mean? You could just say... It, it was it was good, but I I don't know if there is some meeting of the cool slang uh, committee every once in a while. But I'm definitely you know as I'm pushing forty five. I'm definitely not invited. <laughs> and then it just seems that they try and push it. You know the, the funny thing is when words just don't catch on. Yeah. Um, you, do you remember Bay as well? B A E. Yeah. Just calling someone Bay It's like you couldn't say it as well. That was the weird thing. It's for most kind of white English people, it sounded like a weird word to say, but a lot of people wrote, you'd see people writing it on Twitter. That word's fucking gone missing. It's when I find myself sort of having to ask young colleagues, like, what, what is this? What does that mean? Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's just this. I'm like, is, it? is, that what, is that all it is? Oh, is that all it is? Oh, okay. I like that there's a, a, a huge weapons manufacturer called BAE Systems. So now, like, it's just Bay Systems, you know, it's like, so, like with the new slang, it seems less threatening now, you know. Or it sounds like a method as to how you decide who your most lovable person is. Yeah, exactly. I've got, I've got, I've got Bay Systems. <laughs> and I often think by the time I, I hear a word as well, it's probably too late anyway. So if it, by the time it's got to me, I should probably just, I should probably just uh, tap out. But maybe tap out. I mean, that that is a kind of word that a certain kind of American comic like Bill Burr uses so mm. the truth is there's probably coders and slang that we all buy into but I, I like ones that have shown that they've got legs another example is these off the peg sort of phrases that people can use to be funny online but they didn't come up with a phrase so you know you know like saying oh is that even a thing mm. i don't know if saying is that even a thing is still a thing mm. that's how complicated it's got <laughs> And then another one will be if somebody wants to sort of embarrass somebody for contradicting themselves, they'll find an old tweet of them and they'll say, this you, question mark. Mm. And, and I just, as a comic, I suppose you're striving hard to come up with funny stuff. It does, it does sort of piss me off that they're delving into these off-the-peg phrases. Yeah, yeah. Or, or this aged well. There's a certain kind. This, is, this will be a middle-aged, middle-class bloke, probably a little bit centre-left. Their whole goal in life is to find somebody who made a prediction got it wrong and then just go, this aged well. In their little community, or, or as I imagine it, of Merlot drinking, beta males, that is, that is the kingpin moment to find something that Nigel Farage says and says and say, this aged well. Yeah, this will keep me warm all winter now. I've got this tweet ready to go in a folder. I'm like, yes, now's my time. Spring into action. Okay, yeah, I think this is a good group of people to join you on the island because it's gonna be they're gonna be a pain in the like even if you get on well, uh, one day you're yeah. gonna be sitting looking out over the sunset and someone's just gonna say something like you know this sunset is everything and you're just be like oh for fuck's sake you've ruined it you've that ruined exactly it you bastard it. yeah it'd be some if I if I could define the guy he'd probably be thirty five thirty six wearing a satchel 
I'm not, I'm not saying Owen Jones because I know <laughs> Owen Jones. I get on I get on fine with him, but he's certainly the grand poobah of perhaps this way of talking. And I've said that to him. And, and uh, so again, this is my problem with criticizing people of being direct. No, this is this is I'm talking about subgenres. You know, knockoff versions. I mean, if you've said it to his face, I mean, I think that's it's fair enough that you share it here. So that's fine. Okay, who's going to be the second person joining you then on the island? Now I'm very happy to be direct about a person here, okay. Tom Huddleston. Okay. Hiddleston. Hiddleston. Yeah. Don't know. Don't care. I just don't like the guy. He, I get the impression that he is a proper knob. Like you know, you, you meet some in social groups. You know, like one of your your wife's female friends. You just meet a guy, and you just go, "Oh, he's a proper cockhead." Like you, it, it's not often in life people have redeeming features. You go like they're not evil. Do you know what I mean? They're not nasty. They're just prats. I think mm. that's the old word. See, this is this links in. I like words that have plonkers right <laughs> where you go are you just a tit um he did an impression of robert de niro to robert de niro yeah. and you have to think like the level of deluded self-belief to to pitch into what is already a crowded market yeah <laughs> like robert de niro impressions yeah. I, I you know i was a circuit comic uh in the jonglers mid noughties era and you know it, i think that we were our union contractually obliged somebody to pull that face, the squint in, and just look from side to side and go, hey, you're talking to me? Um, he did that to Robert De Niro. And so I just think if you want any more clues as to how this guy, like, you could just tell that he's got a way inflated perception of himself. And the fact is, that's still true, even though he's a wildly successful film star. He mm. still thinks he's better than he is. It's something about, like, I don't know if it's just our culture and, like, people that are too kind of confident or something, but it's it's mm. just unbearable. You just imagine, like, like you know, at the beginning of lockdown and there were all those celebrities doing Imagine. Yeah. And there was that real sense of just, like, oh, God, stop being so confident. It's too much. Like, and he's, yeah, you know, no, he Tom was... Huddleston would have thought that they didn't commit enough to Imagine. That would have been his main criticism of it was that it, they didn't go big. They didn't go big enough. They didn't show enough self-belief. And the other thing is um, is about confidence levels. Impressions, like comedy is jeopardy, right? It's a social form of jeopardy to try and be funny and fail. Impressions probably are even more so that because the feeling when somebody goes, oh, I'll do an impression, it's not good. <laughs> it's so excruciating because the level of self-delusion, you go, oh, you, you've been through the process, you've practised. Hmm. I, I say this as someone who once considered himself... A, a mild impressionist, right? So I, I went and recorded a voice reel and I remember the sound guy looking at me and it, eventually he cut it short. He just said, <laughs> he said, that just doesn't sound anything like David Cameron. I went, yeah, I don't think, I don't think. I, there was one, there was one impression I did do. Um, so there was a lot of impressions of Gollum around on, on that kind of jongler mm. circuit. And um, mine was pretty decent, uh, even by common like standards. It, it worked very well. And so I went to see a voiceover agent and I said to them, I said, just so you know, you know, I do a Gollum voice. She said, well, yeah, quite a few people do that. So I went, just so you're aware, I know, I know that. I said, but mine is, you know, generally considered to be, you know, sort of Premier League. So if you ever, and then she said, well, the thing is, we've got a guy who does that for us. I went, yeah, I'm just saying, you probably need to hear this before you make any decisions. She said, well, that guy's Andy Circus. I went, oh, right, right. The guy that actually did Gollum in the films. Said, yeah, I went, okay, I'd, I'd stick with him. I would stick with him. Yeah. I find if someone says to me, oh, do you want to hear my impression of? It's the same sort of reaction as when someone says, would you like to see a magic trick? 
you know, it's like I might end up being impressed, but like, let's just sort of nip it in the bud because, you know, chances are, you know, we could just carry on having a nice conversation. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, you just saying magic trick has already made me change my third option. <laughs> I forgot about magicians. <laughs> I think just quickly finishing on Tom Hiddleston, there's, there's, um, there's an amazing advert. Have you seen the advert he did in China? And I'm sure lots of people have sort of done these adverts where it's like, look, no one in your own country is going to see it. You can do it. But yeah. it's just the weirdest out of context thing where you just think, you went along with this. And at some point, you probably had the opportunity to change parts of this. But it just, none of it makes any sense at all. But you know, being Tom Huddleston, I, I think he probably thought, I hope people see it. I think this is good. He's probably the guy that looked at all the other cringy Hollywood star in Southeast Asia and has gone, yeah, you know what they've got wrong there? Is they this is this is what I would do. He he is, and also there's another thing as well. He got some of the most like oh he's got the most loyal fans as well. Mm. If you if you did a clip of this and it went viral, I would get attacked. You know, like the the Bay Hive for uh, mm. Beyonce's fans. I don't know what they are. Tom Hiddles, Hiddles. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they'd be called. Huddle, huddle around the Hiddle. I don't know. <laughs> this this is really poor ad libbing. But the point is, is that. Yeah, he's got these female fans that defend him and get really annoyed. I think Phil Wang did a routine about him, mm. had a viral clip, and he got attacked. So even like in the metaphor of like if these fans are like his partner, they've got that delusion too. So I'll take you back to the female friend who, you know, you think she's a nice girl, she deserves to be with a nice bloke, where you go, what has happened to you? Something about being with him, you've caught the huddle, you've caught the huddle... <laughs> In the, you've, got, you've touched the huddle stone there you go, I finally got a half decent gag out um, and, and so there's something odd about him and there's a level of arrogance I mean he, he played Loki and he's pretty good as Loki mainly because Loki was a bit of a prick right so he could just play himself and then for the TV show I was actually thought this could be quite a good little linking piece in the Marvel Universe he was shit at being Loki he was rubbish at it. He wasn't anything like he was in the films. And that some, his fans will probably go, oh, well, that's because Loki had been humbled or some crap. And I thought, no, I bet you any money that he's just gone, I am Loki. And then they've gone, well, do you want to watch the old films to, to maybe remember how he did it? He's gone, I'll just turn up on set and just be Loki, okay? And he's turned up on set and everyone's going, he's, done, he's not that Loki-like, is he? I don't know what's going on here. But I've been around showbiz, and once people get to that level of fame, people would complete a whole shoot and go, well, we don't want to upset Tom, even though he's not playing the character that made him famous and not playing it very well. I can imagine on an island scenario, he'd be the sort of person where he'd be like, okay, come on, Tom, we've got to get firewood. And he'd say something like, mm. oh, I'd love to, mate, but uh, oh, the back's playing up. And you're like, really? Why? What happened? Oh, I, I won't bore you with it. I won't bore you with it. And you go, okay. And say, like, yeah, yeah, I was just doing this stunt, actually, with, uh, it was actually quite yeah. a big deal at the time, you know, and you're like a lot of that kind of thing all the time, you know, just a lot of sort of like real crowbarred anecdotes and things like that. Yeah, I mean, in a way, there's another idea there, is actors that seem to want credit for mild injuries that they've got on set. <laughs> you go, well, why do you think that this equates you with, with the, the, the the sort of peril of the film? Like, they go, yeah, on set I had to do, you know, we had this World War Two set and I had to jump from one of the landing craft and uh, I scuffed my shin on a shell. And you go... Why? Because they know deep down, right? All they're doing is pretending. <laughs> they're just pretending to be soldiers and stuff. So they, there's a part of them as a man. You never get this with feet with with female actors, right? 
they never they ne- they never have to talk about their injuries or the time they had to leap from a helicopter. But you know, it was only four feet, but they slightly sprained their ankle. But you you always got this. Remember when the Rocky films used to come out as well? There'd be these stories like um, Sly actually punched Dolph Lundgren in the face a couple of times. You're going, yeah, I would imagine that when you're pretending to punch somebody for probably three three whole days on set, you might connect with the odd one. Um, so I think actors, they I, I'm not that fond of them generally. <laughs> And I think that maybe Tom Huddleston represents the the apex Pratt. <laughs> okay, the apex Pratt is a good a good title for him to have, I think. So, right, well, he joins the uh, annoying people talking annoying slang on the island. I think they're going to have a whale of a time. So, uh, who's going to be the final person joining those two people? Can I just say that the the, the satchel guy? how he'd call Tom Huddleston. He'd call him the Huddlesmeister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Hiddles boss. <laughs> Hiddles piddles. He'd have to come up with some sort of shitty nickname. The third person, which I have changed as a consequence of this discussion, any magician, okay? <laughs> okay. They freak me out. I just... It, once upon a time, if there had been somebody in your tribe, your community, your village, who could appear to make things appear... You'd either make them chief or you'd kill them, right? <laughs> and I think that at the moment, now they get like a little slot on Britain's Got Talent or something. Just the patronise it. Like with a joke, people can see the workings. They know it's a joke, although these days sometimes it's hard to tell. But there's a setup, there's a punchline. But with magicians, I go, sorry, as an adult, are you expecting me to, to believe that you've got some sort of messianic power <laughs> to manifest, make things disappear? Because if you're not going to tell me how you did it, that is the impression that you want to leave me with. I was, I was once at an event where I was, I was in a dressing room with some magicians. I had to leave the dressing room. They freaked me out too much. <laughs> they were all showing their tricks to each other. And I was going, what, what is this so deceptive? Mm. <laughs> it's, so, it's such a weird thing to be drawn to, I think. When you do find out how it's done, it's really unsatisfying. It's usually just some really sort of laborious mechanical process where like yeah you know it was like well and then quickly while you're looking over there i tuck this thing from you know and sometimes you know magic tricks can be impressive but like not enough to interrupt what i'm doing you know there's times where i've been at a function mm. there's been a magician you're like yeah i don't want to be rude to you but just i can't you know not now like go away i don't yeah table magic at weddings is a weird one don't get me wrong i think some of them are are such great performers that you can see that the magic is just a prop for the performance right that's slightly different but the ones that you can see in their eyes that they want to be believed right the one i love like is a brilliant comic on the uk circuit called danny buckler and he just he mocks all of the tropes and stuff and he's just a brilliant showman but when you get to the point of um, who's that geezer's name? Dynamo. Mm. So they did that trick where he was sort of was flying next to a bus, and you go, "Look, you weren't flying next to a bus, <laughs> right? We know that." And then it turned out that all they'd done is put a bit of iron piping out of the bus through through his coat to make it look like he was being suspended. You're going. It's just fucking ridiculous. Uh, David Copperfield, he made the Empire State Building disappear. I mean, it's just. Just the biggest load of bollocks. And and there's also loads of really irrational things that impress people as well. One of them is if you wrote something or said something or thought something, they just make it appear in writing on something else. And for some reason that blows people's minds. Like you slow it down. There's something like a horror film about it where you see a bus go past in the background and it'll say like Steve written on it. (laughs) Because the person they were asked a question about their, you know, their their favourite uncle, 
And, and, and the surprise element of seeing the name Steve confers a level of status onto these people that is frankly disgraceful. The things like the dynamo thing, it's like he looked like he was flying next to a bus if you were standing in the right place at the right time. Yeah. At least if you are doing a card trick very up close, that seems that's sort of more difficult in a way. It's like... Yeah, yeah, you genuine sleight of hand, yeah. Yeah, because it's like, God, you must have been really quick to get away with doing that. I'm not really sure how you did it. Whereas, like, okay, obviously, like you say, he can't fly, so I know that you're just hanging off something. <laughs> yeah, and he just, like, somebody else built the pole and stuff, so it was a health and safety check done. You know, they probably did three takes of it as well. And my wife gets so annoyed when I shit on stuff like this because she thinks that they, you know, you should have the idea of magic in the world. But like, for me, magic is subjective. Like you say, if somebody has sleight of hand skills that are on such an elevated level, there's something magical about that. But there's not magic about somebody just editing in a name, the name Steve on a bus as it goes past. There's no skill in that at all. Yeah, that's just editing isn't it it just doesn't work yeah and there's no there's no wonder in that it's not like the sort of wow i'm right here looking at it it's just sort of going hmm you must have a big team yeah well also apparently there's a a huge element of profiling so you know when they go out on the street that uh they decide who who they're going to show the tricks to and stuff Mm. like there are certain people that are just guaranteed to react more you know like there's certain people in more working class settings are going to react more you know like they know that women tend to react more and stuff. So they, they, there's all these there's all these filters that they apply, and the ones on the the, um, the talent show auditions really annoy me because the judges on talent shows have worked out quite a long time ago, ever since the Susan Boyle one, that if they can look astonished, that they'll get a lot of screen time, right? <laughs> if they can look really genuinely like you know wide open, eyes wide open, so they're just waiting. There's the, you you've got this seat on two levels there. <laughs> Is is the judge is just waiting to do their astonished face? Yeah. So we're on the desert island. Tom Hiddleston's wanging on about his stunts. The other guy's calling him the Huddlesmeister, and then this prick shows up and makes makes a, makes a flower disappear. But it turns out it wasn't a flower. It's the only vegetable on the island which we could have eaten. <laughs> I think this is a really good uh, a good melting pot of complete dicks that you've got to uh, spend time with. So I think already you know you're off to a good start here. This is very strong. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. Okay. Now, mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? Okay, so foodies. I did a documentary once and I've been criticised. This is just digging out middle class people and what they eat. You know, the wanky chickpea salads. You know, there's all, again, like the words, I think the food goes with trends you know and then those trends get cliched very quickly quinoa you know curly kale linseed or you know all these things mm. but one of the mainstays for a long time has been avocado mm. and it's been you know it, get, it gets used as a stick with which to beat millennials and i've been part of that i've, I've wielded that stick more times than i probably should have but I'm just going to go on an objective level and say that it was always genuine with me because i really dislike avocados because they are too meaty and too oily to be a fruit. Texture-wise, it doesn't make sense. So I I reject them. 
Mm. You know, I don't, I don't see the appeal. I don't. A fruit should taste like a fruit. Meat should taste like a meat. How can it be that oily? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, I've got to hold my hands up here. Like, I am the middle class man you're talking about here. You know, I mean, like, as, as I was saying, I did know. look at you and think if there's ever an avocado <laughs> eater, I yeah, suspect like, you've guilty as taste. charged. Guilty as charged. But. I have to say, there's something very frustrating about something that you enjoy eating that also costs a lot, that has such a, a fine operating window. Yeah. You know, like pears, you get a pear and it's like, it's too hard, it's too hard, then it's too soft. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with fucking avocados. And it's weird that it's been, you know, it's not like they're a new thing. No, no, They've no. They've been around for, what, thousands of years. But... No, they had a wave of popularity in the 80s. And I do think that a lot of what we claim to support or detest there is based on psychological hunches, right? Stuff that we, has happened that we've more or less forgotten about that drives a lot of our aversions. And when I was a kid, my sister and my dad, my, my sister was a lot closer to my dad and I was closer to my mum. So there was kind of tribal thing in the household. And my sister and my dad really enjoyed avocados. And I felt outside of that. Like they used to sit and like scoop out an avocado and eat it together. And I just felt, so I, I, I don't know if I've really, and I like all food, by the way, like pretty much all food. I just, it's more a case of there's some I like more than others. But so the fact that I've singled out avocado for this maybe suggests that it could be cured with a bit of therapy. (laughs) But but then you'd have to go back and go, well, there was an original reason why I would happily have been part of that gang if I could have been. But I just remember how oily it was. And I guess I always, and I know that a lot of the oils that we use are from vegetables and nuts and stuff like that. But there's just, there's something about the texture of the oil mm. that feels like something must have died, you know what I mean, <laughs> or been alive at some point. And there's there's a meat in it. I don't, I don't mind avocado and guacamole, mm. but that, that just shows how much you have to sort of drown it out with onion and lemon and yeah. fucking coriander. It's not a good food. Yeah, and I mean, look who you're sharing the island with. You know, you've got Tom Hiddleston, you've got the millennial slang guy. Both of them all over the avocados. They're all over the avocados. So, I mean, they're just constantly going to be going, Jeff, I can't believe you're, you're not enjoying the avo. You know, they're calling it avo as well, which oh, I Well, fucking there's another can't, one. I calling can't it, yeah, stand yeah, that. that. A, I mean, like, mayo. I'm, and, and this isn't just a class thing. I remember in, in like, Greasy Spoon Cafs as a kid, they would just put Tom's instead of tomato. That annoyed me. And equally, the middle-class version, that's slaw instead of coleslaw. Yeah. You're not saving a massive amount of time. Again, it seems to be a signifier, like I'm one of the cool guys that calls it calls it slaw. Mm. Slaw, it's just a weird word to say. Coleslaw, you get a couple of decent beats out of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, avocado, and also the skin as well. For me, the skin seems to be saying, don't eat this. You know, the stone is massive. Like the stone, the only redeeming thing about an avocado is the weirdly silky texture that the stone has on its exterior. There's something quite pleasing about that. Yeah. Apparently a lot of injuries each year come from people trying to get the stones out of avocados. Like a lot of people cut themselves. My wife knew someone, one of her colleagues had like a bandaged up hand and she oh God, what's happened? He was like, oh, avocado stone, like really crestfallen, (laughs) you know. It's the most middle class injury in the world, like A&E and Crouch End. They're just just absolutely overrun with people that and and people who've actually got back into cracking their own nuts, you know, because <laughs> that was a thing in the eighties. You used to have a nut bowl at Christmas, mm. and it would have like Brazil nuts, hazelnuts, walnuts, and stuff. 
and you would crack your own nuts and then some, suddenly you, 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 we started getting them this is what happens with food right so that was a thing that all people did in the 80s working class people then it goes away and then you'll get some fucking like Jamie Oliver will go you know what's back this year is nut bowls <laughs> and you'll suddenly find that nuts like Brazil nuts are the most expensive thing on earth and then you'll have like customised nutcrackers like really expensive ones from mm. John Lewis that cost about like 39 <laughs> quid the same as when they like bring back tripe or just something that's been away for a while, tiny milk bottles, something from the past. And then you get fucking old Hofmeister guy. He, he's the guy buying all that shit. You know, he's the same guy. I mean, it happened with paninis, wasn't it? Cheese and ham toasties, £2.50. Cheese and ham panini, £3.95. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you've made a good point on the food. What, what's your drink choice? What's going to wash that avocado down with? Whiskey. So... Whiskey in popular culture, it benefits from the most sort of fundamental misrepresentation. When you see films in all TV, right? So no one ever just drinks it straight from a bottle. Right? This is how people drink whiskey in, in normal life, mostly. You've had a house party. You didn't buy enough beer. You didn't buy enough wine. Two of the blokes want to carry on drinking. So you get some nasty old bottle of whiskey out and then you just drink it straight from the thing and then you feel the worst you've ever felt the following day. Like, like sort of wedding level hangover, but in, in your own house. This is how you see it in films and telly. Decanter. Always with a decanter. Mm. Nobody in the world of film or TV has ever just got some nasty kind of like famous grouse out from the back of the cupboard that they got, <laughs> that moved with them from the previous house. <laughs> and, and they're always like whiskey. And it looks... And the, 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 the orangey like texture, it looks like the best thing in the world to drink. It looks incredible. And they just sip it. They never... They barely have any ice with it. No mixers. And it seems like the most macho, manly thing in the world to do. And yet, you have whiskey. It's fucking rank. It is a fairly, it's a very, you know, and there'll be people right now going, Jeff, it's a challenging drink. I don't need to be challenged by drinks. <laughs> okay. I, I want I want, I want, want a Jack Daniels and Coke. I want the easy version of that. There's a reason that's the, the big seller. And you also get a culture in and around it where guys of a certain age, they can't just accept that they've become alcoholics. So they have to become whiskey aficionados. And you know one of your mates has become a boring person when they start telling you why something's single malt and why something's not single malt, what, what the difference is. The moment a mate says to you, starts explaining the difference between single malt and double malt, they're dead inside. Make some new friends. I just like quite normal whiskey. But then sometimes you try one and it's like, God, this tastes like antiseptic. And you look on the back of the bottle and they'll even say with notes of antiseptic. And you're like, yeah. when you made that whiskey and you realise that after 12 years work, it tasted of TCP, like you were fine with that. And you just went, yeah, okay, there's no tweaks needed. Like, yeah. surely you'd be like, fucking hell, lads, we've made this thing. We spent all this time. Would with- you wonder, though, if they've kind of gone, this might get us a mention on Sunday brunch. Because on Sunday brunch, they love talking about drinks that have notes of something in it. Mm. And then they'll go, like, that'll be one. Yeah, antiseptic. People go, oh, wow, yeah, antiseptic. Just just a little new thing, just to keep us interested. And it is completely confected. It's one of those manly things that I secretly don't think that anybody enjoys, right? Like cigars and poker. There's an age that you get to where you think, like, it's part of the status. It looks great. You know, you've got a cigar, you're playing poker. No one ever looks happy playing poker. You know, smoking cigars, it just, I just, I, I don't believe, or maybe I'm just projecting because I'm worried that I'm not manly enough to enjoy these things. But whiskey, cigars and poker, I, I, I'm not, I'm not buying it. I'm just going to do things that I enjoy. Thing is, like, if I order a whiskey in a bar, 
like someone might want to talk to me about it. That's the risk. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, do you like that one? Oh, I find it. I don't want to talk about it. I just want to carry on talking whilst having a drink. You know what I mean? It's like you always want to order it without people seeing because there's all this bullshit that comes with it. So Tom Hiddleston's going to be all over that. We know that. I can imagine. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, he'll be like, he'll be like, sorry, dude, no. You you can't put ice in that man. That is that is sacrilege. That's what he'll say. <laughs> he'll tell you it's sacrilege. I go, God, whiskey and coke is a good drink. It tastes nice. It's got it's got like weirdly. It feels quite organic. You know, it, it's quite it's quite tasty. But you know, it's sugary and it and it's fun. It's a fun drink. Whiskey on its own, and you can't you can't drink you can't you know drink. I mean, I remember when I was younger, people used to do whiskey chasers before shots. Kids, people <laughs> called them chasers. And that was rank. I mean, maybe that was the problem. I was in some like social club and, and the chaser would be given to you in, in one of those little, you know, those plastic things that they give out methadone in. Yeah. And <laughs> um, so that might be, you know, part of the problem. And, and again, I'm a very simple man in terms of my taste. When it comes to lager, you know, people have got very into their craft beers and all this sort of stuff. I, ba- I like session lagers. I like the ones that are popular. There's a reason, like, they've been brewed and refined because they've gone, right, people will be able to drink eight pints of this. <laughs> I don't want something with fucking, like, notes of toffee yeah. um, that feels like a meal. So, yeah, I, I, maybe it all comes down to I'm, I'm quite a basic bitch. <laughs> uh, no, I think you've argued your case well, so I think that's absolutely fair enough. Okay, Jeff, now, fortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? Uh, so I'll go with song first. Um, you know that song, Dancing in the Moonlight? Oh, Dancing God, yeah. Dancing in the Moonlight. So there was a period when I was, um, I think it was around 2000, and I was working in media, and I went to a lot of parties. And, and it was one of those really popular songs that I never understood, because even despite being a party song, it was sort of whiny and downbeat. We get it on every night. And, and you'd see people, and, and women have this great thing of, on dance floors of singing the words to their friend. And, and thinking that the words are about them. And I'd, I always look and think, you don't get it on almost every night. Like, it's a lovely sentiment that you just party all the time. And I think, I'd, I'd argue that you barely get it on seven times a year on the dance floor. Like, but the, right now, they've packaged an idea to you, dancing in the moonlight, you know, like barefoot. That's probably the idea that they're trying to, a force of nature. It's very much marketed at women, that song, I think. The same as um, dancing on the ceiling. It's mm. It's sort of like... I would say it's like a memed version of a carefree life, isn't it? Yeah. That for three and a half minutes, you get to think that you've devoted your life to the dance floor. (laughs) (laughs) But again, and just simply the tone of the song is, I mean, there's another one as well. Like I I like upbeat music and I I, I both recognize that Sweet Dreams by Eurythmics is a great track and it's got a great riff. But it's depressing, you know. It's just not... Yeah, so I, I feel that, but, but I mean, that's a much better song than this. Dancing in the Moonlight is an absolute piece of shit. Yeah, I uh, I got haunted by it. I remember like when I left college, I was doing these 12-hour shifts at a trucking company and um, they had commercial radio on all day long and it was right at the sort of the nexus, like the peak of that song's popularity. So it was on like eight times a day on the playlist anyway and there was also an advert on the commercial radio at the time that used 
a version of that song. So it was like, you basically heard it every half an hour. Because oh. it's got that little jingle at the beginning. Dun, 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 that sort of little, like, twinkly. So it almost, like, signals it's coming. And then, and then you get women cheering, going, yeah, running to the dance floor. And I'm not just, I mean, it sounds like I'm just digging out women here. There's lots of songs that women love that I, I also love. So when, when single ladies comes on and women cheer and go on the dance floor, I'm with them. Obviously, culturally, I'm not allowed to go on the dance floor at that point and cheer because I might get excommunicated from the lads group. But I see where they're coming from. <laughs> but Dancing in the Moonlight feels like this very feminine thing that I just don't understand. You know, and it also, I, I get the impression that the guys, and this is just complete speculation, but the guys that wrote it, were the ones that are thinking, what kind of song would women love? You know, like rather than just write a song from the heart, it's like it's like those songs that that really just sort of like, like a bit like "You're Beautiful" by James Blunt. Mm. You know, I think it's so squarely marketed at women, where the you can just vicariously think that there was a guy that saw you and was just so struck by your beauty, he couldn't stop thinking about it, and he. He wrote a song, you know, it, it must be that when women hear that song that they sort of think, oh, I wonder if that could be about me. Mm. And, you know, and they wonder if they're a dancing in the moonlight sort of girl. <laughs> Can I just say for balance here, because I understand that, you know, from a that you might be getting worried that this is starting to sound a bit like an attack on women. There are obviously equiv- equivalent songs like this for men. Jump Around by House of Pain. <laughs> I, so many women must have thought, and it's got exactly the same features that you mentioned, was a... Dun, dun, dun. And then all these women have to see loads of blokes run onto a dance floor and then do that jumping up thing where their hands all touch in the middle. And also, like, probably some very middle-class suburban-type males just rapping and, and sort of doing that rapping whereby they want everyone else to notice that they know all the words. That's what happens <laughs> is you think, I hope people are noticing how I know these words. So I, I think that the, this, kind of, this kind of stuff cuts across the sexes. Yeah, no, I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's just a fucking awful tune, you know, for everyone yeah. concerned. So, you know, I think enough people help hate it that it's fine. You know, I think you maybe even some women it. hate it. eh? God, I never even thought of that. Yeah, absolutely. Crikey. Um, Jeff, what would your, your film choice be? And uh, well, it's quite specific this. So The Last Jedi got a lot of stick generally. But I, as a big, big Star Wars fan, I didn't there was I thought a lot of the f- film was pretty good. Right. I thought the portrayal of Luke Skywalker, I thought it was sort of plausible that he'd be kind of come embittered and become a bit of a hermit. I kind of didn't mind that. Uh, the You know, there's some great scenes in it, you know, with Rey and Kylo Ren fighting Supreme Leader Snoke. Just sounded like a nerd here now. But in the middle act of the film, two of the characters go to uh, a planet called Canto Bite, which is a weird name for a, a, a planet anyway. And it's so obviously, and the film got a lot of criticism for being too woke, you know, like like it was so clearly pushing an agenda. And there was a lot of it that I didn't really mind, I didn't really care about. But in this one bit, it's so obviously an attack on capitalism, right? And 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 such a, a an unsophisticated, unsophisticated means of doing it. So it's all these wealthy people; they're all gambling. They all look down their noses at people. And and there's even there's even a line in it which the character Rose Tico says, which she says. I wish I could burn down this whole beautiful town. It's just most clunky <laughs> fucking dialogue. And then you go from like this massive epic space battle at one point to to another point. Two of the main characters are riding these sort of giant emus out of what looks like a greyhound racing track. And you, you know when people say something pulls you out of a film? It pulls you so far out of this film. Mm. It's so badly done. It doesn't really look 
very good. And then, you know, it returns to a, a passable story, but you're just trying to get out of your head. Why did they do that? And you just think, you know, having worked in comedy, knowing what it takes to get sitcoms made, anything made, you know, to get a joke in that makes the edit, which goes to television. It's all hard. And you go, so at no level as someone sat down with the director, producer, Ryan Johnson, gone, this Canto Bite bit is shit. <laughs> it's, it's really bad. You're essentially saying money's bad, but you're also making a film for the biggest corporation in the world, which you get a lot in films. I remember with uh, the Goonies, you know, the whole appeal of that was these kids rising up against the evil money men. But it was also distributed by Buena Vista, who at the time, one of the biggest companies, you know. So, yeah, I, I would defend The Last Jedi for some things, but I think it's probably got the worst middle act of any film ever. Okay, so let's put it on the island scenario. Are we just going to give you that bit? We'll say the entertainment system's broken and you can only have that section of the film, perhaps. Yeah, the middle act, I never even thought of just being forced to watch that bit because at least if you watch the whole film, you can get a little bit of credit in the bank before you have to watch this this awful um, segue, this 45-minute long segue. Yeah. I mean, you could literally have gone, right, this way you tidy up that whole film. You go... Oh, Rose, Finn, where have you been? We went to a planet called Canto Bight. Oh, it's disgusting. But anyway, look, we've got what we need. <laughs> Covered. Yeah. You've saved yourself 45 minutes. And it's not like it's, you know, that short. I mean, the film's long enough that it could do with a bit taken out of it. it could as have well, been trimmed, so. yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, you make a good point. <laughs> um, Jeff, finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? My dog. Your dog. Lily, yeah. <laughs> she is... I mean, like, first up, dogs get an easy ride. I think dogs are fantastic. I will always have one in my family. I think they're a brilliant thing to have. But we, I think, just like, you know... <laughs> I don't want to get political, but you know, like, the way that the NHS got venerated to such an in- a ridiculous point throughout the, the pandemic, where it's a good thing, and then people talk about it, you go, well, it's not that good, all right? Same with dogs. People going, we don't deserve dogs. And you go, okay, like, I think that they're good, but they do get a lot of exchange value out of this relationship. And they are <laughs> fucking thieves. Like, they never stop being thieves. Almost all dogs. They are re- they are really conniving, you know, manipulative. And I, I love my dog, and I do every- I do everything for her. Like, I-, I take her out for a walk. It's me that takes her out for a walk. I do, like, two walks of roughly 40 minutes a day. Rain, shine, snow or sleet. But she doesn't appreciate it. Um, she's very arrogant. Um, she's a coward as well. She's a coward. I've been in a couple of situations where I've had to defend her and she's run away. Um, she starts fights and doesn't finish them. Um, she's not empathetic at all. So when, um, you know, like when you, that thing of like when you're, you're crying or upset, your dog's supposed to notice and come in and nuzzle you and Mm. she doesn't do that. She goes away. She sort of acts (laughs) like, like you, you've got the, the kind of, uh, you got the stink, and she doesn't want to. She doesn't want it to catch. She's like, you know, one of those people that you think is a friend until the shit hits the fan. <laughs> yeah. And she's yeah. off. She's off. So, uh, I think Lily. And that's not to say I will not care for her to her dying day, and I'll be sad when, when she's gone. But I think sometimes love is loving someone despite their flaws, <laughs> and and she's got she's got a lot of flaws. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And and I guess on the island as well, you know, you'll you'll arrive there and be like, Oh, thank God I've got my dog at least. Yeah. But then you know that you're gonna have a heartbreak at some point. I mean, she might even get on with the others better for a while because they'll be like, Oh dog, great. No, she's you very know? much a Tom Hiddleston sort of dog. <laughs> um and she would what she would do, she would make it harder. Do you know, like the one time she fried into the 
into the palm trees or whatever. She'd come back and like she just she's she's also right. She's I do love her even as I'm saying this. I'm saying it with fondness. Is that she get the slightest little thing in her fur, and she the the dramatic reaction to it, the melodrama. <laughs> Are you going? What is it, lady? What is it? You look around and it's just like one little little blade of grass that's got lodged in there. But she'll like she'll she'll start making these noises and stuff. So she'd actually probably make life harder on the island as well. Um she would she would eat more than she would eat more than her share. But it's funny, you know, I didn't think this through. Like if you're asking me whether I'm on a desert island, would I prefer my dog to be there than not? I have to wonder because it would probably on balance be marginally better that she was there. And and given the other three arseholes, I do think that she might just be the better living thing on the island. Mm. But that doesn't mean she's a good person. <laughs> I just think she's going to, you know, the things that annoy you now will annoy you on the island as well. And mm. then, you know, there's always the chance that she's going to become better friends with the other people that you hate. And you're going to have to watch that. You know, one day she won't be there anymore. And then, you, you know, it's going to really compound the feeling of being with these dicks. So, you know, I think it's a, a good choice. Well, look, and also I think, you know, and, and to not dishonour the format here, I've got two dogs. So if what you're saying to me is if I had a choice between either of them, hmm. you know, I think it says it all. It's not even, it's not even, I don't even have to give it any thought. Okay. I'm taking the new one. <laughs> so, yeah, she is, she is, I think, and I think we just need to reflect with, with all the positives about dogs is that they are just, just living things that want food, mainly. <laughs> all right. So I think we just need to rein it in a bit. <laughs> Jeff, I think you've made a, a great selection today and they've been very well-argued uh, choices as well. So I think, you know, you've got yourself a, a thoroughly shit island on which to spend the rest of your life. So um, bravo. Miserable. <laughs> then to distract you from all that, um, tell us a bit about what you're up to. You're going back on tour again uh, in the new year? Yeah, so I did the autumn leg of my tour. I blame the parents and uh, it was great. We had we had great numbers, got... Uh, Got a nice review in the Times. And we're back out from February of next year. We're going to Margate. We're going to Winchester, Carlisle. We're going to some places we've never been. We're going to Aberdeen. Aber- the way I say that there just sounds like so Southern-centric, like I want credit. <laughs> like, I'll be going to Aberdeen. And it is a show, like, it's. Pro- I mean, I do talk about politics, but it's probably my least political show in a way. I sort of balance it out between talking about stuff like cancel culture and all this sort of stuff, but then also talking about observational stuff about my parents and stuff like that. So it, it's 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 the most fun I've, I've had on stage because I think, you know, when doing comedy, you kind of think, well, if I talk for an hour, roughly what would the breakdown of that be? And it would be observational comedy, it'd be sort of socio-political comedy and politics. And this probably is the first tour where I've got an equal balance of those things. Cool, nice one. Great, well, uh, we look forward to seeing you out on tour in the new year then. And Jeff, thank you again for uh, coming on Desert Island Dicks today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, no, listen, man, I am, I'm building a raft. <laughs> Cheers. So there you are, Desert Island Dicks with Jeff Norcott there. That's it for today. Just to say that uh, Desert Island Dicks is a sync clap production created by James Deacon, produced and presented by me, Dan Benedictus. 
edited by Chris Attaway. Social media support comes from Jason Leach and Chinsey Clinton. And a special mention to Grand Mamster Flash and John Deacon, as always, for being wonderful. We've got loads of great episodes coming up, so please do make sure you subscribe so they come straight to your phone or wherever you listen. It also helps us out a bit if you could uh, rate us and give us a review. That's really great if you could do that. It would it would mean a lot to some humble young men. What else is there? I don't know, really. I'm sort of um, recording this without thinking it through very much. So hopefully that's all you need to know. Um, I hope you're well. Hope January's not kicking your ass too much at the minute. And, um, you know, don't worry. We're going to keep more episodes coming. We've got some really good ones coming up. So don't worry. If nothing else, there is that. And on that note, I'm going to go. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Bye.